Chapter One A of The Sheik. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by L. D. Hamilton. The Sheik by E. M. Hull. Chapter One A. Are you coming in to watch the dancing, Lady Conway? I most decidedly am not. I thoroughly disapprove of the expedition of which this dance is the inauguration. I consider that even by contemplating such a tour, alone into the desert, with no chaperone or attendant of her own sex, with only native camel drivers and servants, Diana Mayo is behaving with a recklessness and impropriety that is calculated to cast a slur not only on her own reputation, but also on the prestige of her country. I blush to think of it. We English cannot be too careful of our behavior abroad. No opportunity is slight enough for our continental neighbors to cast stones, and this opportunity is very far from being slight. It is the maddest piece of unprincipled folly I have ever heard of. Oh, come, Lady Conway, it's not quite so bad as all that. It is certainly unconventional and uh, probably not quite wise, but remember Miss Mayo's unusual upbringing. I am not forgetting her unusual upbringing, interrupted Lady Conway. It has been deplorable, but nothing can excuse the scandalous escapade. I knew her mother years ago, and I took it upon myself to expostulate both with Diana and her brother, but Sir Aubrey is hedged around with an egotistical complacency that would defy a pickaxe to penetrate. According to him, a mayo is beyond criticism, and his sister's reputation her own to deal with. The girl herself seemed, frankly, not to understand the seriousness of her position, and was very flippant and not a little rude. I wash my hands of the whole affair, and will certainly not countenance tonight's entertainment by appearing at it. I have already warned the manager that if the noise is kept up beyond a reasonable hour, I shall leave the hotel to-morrow and drawing her wrap around her with a little shudder, Lady Conway stalked majestically across the wide veranda of the Biskra Hotel. The two men left standing by the open French window that led into the hotel ballroom, looked at each other, and smiled. "'Some peroration,' said one with a marked American accent. "'That's the way scandal's made, I guess.' "'Scandal be hanged! There's never been a breath of scandal attached to Diana Mayo's name. I've known the child since she was a baby. Rum little cuss she was, too. Confound that old woman. She would wreck the reputation of the archangel Gabriel if he came down to earth, let alone that of a mere human girl.' "'Not a very human girl,' laughed the American. She was sure meant for a boy, and changed at the last moment. She looks like a boy in petticoats. A damned pretty boy. And a damned haughty one, he added, chuckling. I overheard her this morning in the garden, making mincemeat 
of a French officer. The Englishman laughed. Been making love to her, I expect, a thing she does not understand and won't tolerate. She's the coldest little fish in the world without an idea in her head beyond sport and travel. Clever, though, and plucky as they are made. I don't think she knows the meaning of the word fear. There's a queer streak in the family, isn't there? I heard somebody yapping about it the other night. Father was mad and blew his brains out, so I was told. The Englishman shrugged his shoulders. You can call it mad if you like, he said slowly. I live near the Mayos in England and happen to know the story. Sir John Mayo was passionately devoted to his wife. After twenty years of married life they were still lovers. Then this girl was born, and the mother died. Two hours afterwards her husband shot himself, leaving the baby in the sole care of her brother, who was just nineteen, and as lazy and as selfish then as he is now. The problem of bringing up a girl-child was too much trouble to be solved, so he settled the difficulty by treating her as if she was a boy. The result is what you see. They moved nearer to the open window, looking into the brilliantly lit ballroom, already filled with gaily chattering people. On the slightly raised platform at one end of the room, the host and hostess were receiving their guests. The brother and sister were singularly unlike. Sir Aubrey Mayo was very tall and thin, the pallor of his face accentuated by the blackness of his smoothly brushed hair and heavy black moustache. His attitude was a mixture of well-bred courtesy and languid boredom. He seemed too tired even to keep the single eyeglass that he wore in position, for it dropped continually. By contrast, the girl at his side appeared vividly alive. She was only of medium height and very slender, standing erect with the easy, vigorous carriage of an athletic boy, her small head poised proudly. Her scornful mouth and firm chin showed plainly an obstinate determination, and her deep blue eyes were unusually clear and steady. The long curling black lashes that shaded her eyes and the dark eyebrows were a foil to the thick crop of loose red-gold curls that she wore short, clubbed about her ears. "'The result is worth seeing,' said the American admiringly referring to his companion's last remark. A third and younger man joined them. "'Hello, Arbuthnot. You're late. The divinity is ten deep in would-be partners already.' A dull red crept into the young man's face, and he jerked his head angrily. "'I got waylaid by Lady Conway, a poisonous old woman.' She had a great deal to say on the subject of Miss Mayo and her trip. She ought to be gagged. I thought she was going on talking all night, so I fairly bolted in the end. All the same, I agree with her on one point. Why can't that lazy-ass Mayo go with his sister? Nobody seemed to be able to give an answer. The band had begun playing, and the floor was covered with laughing, talking couples. Sir Aubrey Mayo had moved away, 
and his sister was left standing with several men who waited, program in hand. But she waved them away with a little smile and a resolute shake of her head. "'Things seem to be getting a hustle on,' said the American. "'Are you going to try your luck?' asked the elder of the two Englishmen. The American bit the end of a cigar with a little smile. "'I sure am not. The haughty young lady turned me down as a dancer very early in our acquaintance. I don't blame her,' he added with a rueful laugh. "'But her extreme candor still rankles. She told me quite plainly that she had no use for an American who could neither ride nor dance. I did intimate to her very gently, that there were a few little openings in the States for men beside cattle-punching and cabaret-dancing, but she froze me with a look, and I faded away. No, sir, egotistical complacency will be having some bridge later on, which will suit me much better. He's not a bad chap underneath if you can swallow his peculiarities, and he's a sportsman. I like to play with him. He doesn't care a darn if he wins or loses. It doesn't matter when you have a banking account the size of his, said Arbuthnot. Personally, I find dancing more amusing and less expensive. I shall go and take my chance with our hostess. His eyes turned rather eagerly toward the end of the room where the girl was standing alone, straight and slim, the light from an electrolier gilding the thick bright curls framing her beautiful haughty little face she was staring down at the dancers with an absent expression in her eyes as if her thoughts were far away from the crowded ballroom the american pushed arbuthnot forward with a little laugh run along foolish moth and get your poor little wings singed when the cruel fair has done trampling on you i'll come right along and mop up the remains if, on the other hand, your temerity meets with the success it deserves, we can celebrate suitably later on. And linking his arm in his friend's, he drew him away to the card-room. Arbuthnot went through the window and worked slowly round the room, hugging the wall, evading dancers, and threading his way through groups of chattering men and women of all nationalities. He came at last to the raised dais on which Diana Mayo was still standing, and climbed up the few steps to her side. "'This is luck, Miss Mayo,' he said with an assurance that he was far from feeling. "'Am I really fortunate enough to find you without a partner?' She turned to him slowly, with a little crease growing between her arched eyebrows, as if his coming were inopportune and she resented the interruption to her thoughts. And then she smiled quite frankly. "'I said I would not dance until everybody was started,' she said rather doubtfully, looking over the crowded floor. "'They are all dancing. You've done your duty nobly. Don't miss this ripping tune,' he urged persuasively. She hesitated, tapping her program pencil against her teeth. "'I refused a lot of men,' she said with a grimace. Then she laughed suddenly. "'Come along, then. I am noted for my bad manners. This will be one extra sin.' Arbuthnot danced well, 
but with the girl in his arms he seemed suddenly tongue-tied. They swung round the room several times, then halted simultaneously beside an open window and went out into the garden of the hotel, sitting down on a wicker seat under a gaudy Japanese hanging lantern. The band was still playing, and for the moment the garden was empty, lit faintly by colored lanterns, festooned from the palm trees, and twinkling lights outlining the winding paths. Arbuthnot leaned forward, his hands clasped between his knees. "'I think you are the most perfect dancer I have ever met,' he said a little breathlessly. Miss Mayo looked at him seriously, without a trace of self-consciousness. "'It is very easy to dance if you have a musical ear, and if you have been in the habit of making your body do what you want.' So few people seem to be trained to make their limbs obey them. Mine have had to do as they were told since I was a small child, she answered calmly. The unexpectedness of the reply acted as a silencer on Arbuthnot for a few minutes, and the girl beside him seemed in no hurry to break the silence. The dance was over, and the empty garden was thronged for a little time. Then the dancers drifted back into the hotel, as the band started again. "'It's rather jolly here in the garden,' Arbuthnot said tentatively. His heart was pounding with unusual rapidity, and his eyes, that he kept fixed on his own clasped hands, had a hungry look growing in them. "'You mean that you want to sit out this dance with me?' she said with a boyish directness that somewhat nonplussed him. Yes, he stammered rather foolishly. She held her program up to the light of the lantern. I promised this one to Arthur Conway. We quarrel every time we meet. I cannot think why he asked me. He disapproves of me even more than his mother does. Such an interfering old lady. He will be overjoyed to be let off, and I don't want to dance tonight. I am looking forward so tremendously to tomorrow. I shall stay and talk to you, but you must give me a cigarette to keep me in a good temper. His hand shook a little as he held the match for her. Are you really determined to go through with this tour? She stared at him in surprise. Why not? My arrangements have been made some time. Why should I change my mind at the last moment? Why does your brother let you go alone? Why doesn't he go with you? Oh, I haven't any right to ask, but I do ask, he broke out vehemently. She shrugged her shoulders with a little laugh. We fell out, Aubrey and I. He wanted to go to America. I wanted a trip into the desert. We quarreled for two whole days and half one night, and then we compromised. I should have my desert tour, and Aubrey should go to New York, and to mark his brotherly appreciation of my gracious promise to follow him to the States without fail at the end of a month, he has consented to grace my caravan for the first stage, and dismiss me on my way with his blessing. 
It annoyed him so enormously that he could not order me to go with him, this being the first time in our wanderings that our inclinations have not jumped in the same direction. I came of age a few months ago, and, in future, I can do as I please. Not that I have ever done anything else, she conceded with a little laugh, because Aubrey's ways have been my ways until now. "'But for the sake of one month, what difference could it make to him?' he asked in astonishment. "'That's Aubrey,' replied Miss Mayo dryly. "'It isn't safe,' persisted Arbuthnot. She flicked the ash from her cigarette carelessly. "'I don't agree with you. I don't know why everybody is making such a fuss about it.' Plenty of other women have travelled in much wilder country than this desert. He looked at her curiously. She seemed to be totally unaware that it was her youth and her beauty that made all the danger of the expedition. He fell back on the easier excuse. There seems to be unrest amongst some of the tribes. There have been a lot of rumours lately, he said seriously. She made a little movement of impatience. Oh, that's what they always tell you when they want to put obstacles in your way. The authorities have already dangled that bogey in front of me. I asked for facts, and they only gave me generalities. I asked definitely if they had any power to stop me. They said they had not, but strongly advised me not to make the attempt. I said I should go unless the French government arrested me. Why not? I'm not afraid. I don't admit that there's anything to be afraid of. I don't believe a word about the tribes being restless. Arabs are always moving about, aren't they? I have an excellent caravan leader, whom even the authorities vouch for, and I shall be armed. I am perfectly able to take care of myself. I can shoot straight, and I'm used to camping. Besides, I've given my word to Aubrey to be in Oran in a month, and I can't get very far away in that time. There was an obstinate ring in her voice, and when she stopped speaking, he sat silent, consumed with anxiety, obsessed with the loveliness of her, and tormented with the desire to tell her so. Then he turned to her suddenly, and his face was very white. "'Miss Mayo, Diana, put off this trip only for a little, and give me the right to go with you. I love you. I want you for my wife more than anything on earth. I shan't always be a penniless subaltern. One of these days I shall be able to give you a position that is worthy of you. No, nothing could be that, but... One at least that I am not ashamed to offer you. We've been very good friends. You know all about me. I'll give my whole life to make you happy. The world has been a different place to me since you came into it. I can't get away from you. You are in my thoughts, night and day. I love you. I want you. My God, Diana, beauty like yours drives a man mad. "'Is beauty all that a man wants in his wife?' she asked, with a kind of cold wonder in her voice. "'Brains and a sound body seem much more sensible requirements to me.' 
but when a woman has all three as you have diana he whispered ardently his hands closing over the slim ones lying in her lap but with a strength that seemed impossible for their smallness she disengaged them from his grasp please stop i am sorry we have been good friends and it has never occurred to me that there could be anything beyond that i never thought that you might love me i never thought of you in that way at all i don't understand it when god made me he omitted to give me a heart i have never loved any one in my life my brother and i have tolerated each other but there has never been any affection between us would it be likely put yourself in aubrey's place imagine a young man of nineteen with a cold reserved nature being burdened with the care of a baby sister thrust into his hands unwanted and unexpected was it likely that he would have any affection for me i never wanted it i was born with the same cold nature as his i was brought up as a boy my training was hard emotion and affection have been barred out of my life i simply don't know what they mean i don't want to i'm very content with my life as it is marriage for a woman means the end of independence that is marriage with a man who is a man in spite of all that the most modern woman may say i have never obeyed any one in my life i do not wish to try the experiment i am very sorry to have to hurt you you have been a splendid pal but that side of life does not exist for me if i had thought for one moment that my friendship was going to hurt you i need not have let you become so intimate but i did not think because it is a subject that i never think of a man to me is just a companion with whom i ride or shoot or fish a pal a comrade and that's just all there is to it god made me a woman why only he knows her quiet even voice stopped there had been a tone of cold sincerity in it that arbuthnot could not help but recognize she meant everything that she said she said no more than the truth her reputation for complete indifference to admiration and her unvarying attitude towards men were as well known as her dauntless courage and obstinate determination with sir aubrey mayo she behaved like a younger brother and as such entertained his friends she was popular with everybody even with the mothers of marriageable daughters for in spite of her wealth and beauty her notorious peculiarities made her negligible as a rival to plainer and less well-dowered girls End of chapter 1a recording by l d hamilton